in us that the world may believe that thou didst send me. So he's talking about two different groups of people here. He's talking about his people and the world that hate them. And then here at the end of that scripture, it appears to be that they have the ability to change. Am I misreading this? Well, let's let's go back and then I'll answer your question, I think, a little bit. But yeah, as you as you finalize sixteen, seventeen, nineteen, uh the the thing that he's doing obviously is he's praying for the disciples. It's his prayer for the disciples, but not to be left out on that is that he says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So he's not sanctifying them with some kind of a you know, a pill or a potion or anything else. Uh, he's sanctifying them and seeking for them to be sanctified with with the word, with the truth of the word. And uh, um, then as he prays for other believers there, he, he doesn't just pray for just the, the disciples alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he was praying for everybody that was subsequently going to be touched by the words of truth that these disciples were going to speak. And he says that they may all be one as your father, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they almost that also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Well, can you imagine being all in one? But no. We've got to have all these denominations. We have to have all of these variants of theological belief because we don't believe the true word. We want to believe the word as we have believed the word or as others have given us the word or, you know, the way I was taught or, you know, what I want to believe. That's an entirely different thing than what Christ is seeking here. He's seeking that they that we would all be as one as both Christ and the Father are one. And um, well him and the Father were completely one. Because yeah. Jesus Jesus was without sin. And I guess that that through his death that frees us to be capable of being in that bond. Well, not only that. I mean, this is this is as you say, profound. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them your name. It says thy name in the King James, but he's saying I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. You know, we say we love the Father, but we will not keep his commands. And what Christ said was keep the command. Mm -hmm. You know, as you said, and so, absolutely, 
how is it that we can say that we love the Father and that we know the Father, but yet we will not keep, observe, and obey and do? And, you know, the, the sin aspect is, I don't know how to say it without sounding some way that I don't want to sound, but there's, <laughs> let it out. Well, you know, there's so much, so much in his word that is besides just the Ten Commandments, which are really about uh-huh. our, you know, our relationship with God and our relationship with fellow man. But, you know, the beauty and the wonder of his law, statutes, commands, and judgments are just immeasurable. And to have them be applied in the world, it, it just... It, it would save so much oppression. It would save so much, um, you know, this is what the world is clamoring for right now is for equity and justice. And so the very topic that Isaac's laid out here with these scriptures that appear to, uh, to say one thing, which, you know, has people believing that there's a socialist uh, uh, mind frame in Christ's teaching uh, or a communal type time uh, mind frame and you see the churches actually you know uh, supporting and and you know in some ways falling into it I'm looking for the word but um, and so here's where we are you know you look at something here in John that you lay out in 17 we can't even we can't even get the churches, which we're supposed to be all in one, to just agree on let's do these things and let's go forward in one accord and in unity in application and in unity in in process and everything else and see where see where it leads. And it can only lead to greater righteousness in the kingdom as opposed to greater unrighteousness in the kingdom. Okay. Well, let's get started with uh, with what you had planned tonight. Well, just a continuation um, of these scriptures that Isaac had sent. I think there's probably three more or something I... I didn't get very much of my homework done on this. So, um, Isaac, I think we were about ready to go from Luke 12:33 to Acts uh, 2, correct? Uh, yeah, Acts 2:44 and yeah. the surrounding scripture. So that is uh, Acts 2:44, and all that believed were together, and that and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And then Acts 3 is next. Is the, yeah, the, Acts 3 starts at that point. So it's, a, yeah. it's another example, and there are a couple more after after this that go into a little bit more detail. Uh, 
but this is one that seems to say that this group of people you know, were, were selling what they had and pooling their resources. Yeah, and so what do you want to offer to it or your consideration on it or understanding of it? Uh, well, let's see if I have anything in my notes here. It seems, uh, it seems to me like this, so this is after Jesus' resurrection, obviously, and it seems like it's uh, the apostles' application of one of the things that Jesus instructed them to do or to pursue. Uh, but it's also indicating that it's it's not just limited to the apostles. It's a group of, of believers that seems to be larger than the apostles. Um, and I don't think we know specifically who those people are from this scripture. Uh, so when I when I read this, I mean it seems like like this is something that we're like possibly supposed to emulate. Like, well, why did this group of people do this? Uh, and I guess what specifically did they do? Is it as broad as the scripture makes it sound? Um, yeah, I guess those those are the questions that I have. Not not that I expect anyone of you to have specific answers, but that's sort of what I'm looking into. Well, let's do that because the answers are in the Word. Um, on this particular scripture, one of the first things that we've got to do is begin at verse 43 for context. And, you know, you raised a question and asked, you know, why did they do this? And I... I think that once I read this, you'll immediately say, yeah, okay, I see why they did this. Remember that Peter, in fact, for full context, we would obviously have to go back. Um, and this is a very profound scripture here at chapter 2 of Acts. Peter standing, I'm at 2.14, Peter standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, well, I probably should, uh, they were all, let's see. Anyhow, but Peter sta standing up with them, the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and on your sons, your daughters, and they shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. Upon, and on my servants and on my maidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, 
by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Hell, as used here in this scripture, verse 27, means the grave. Gehenna, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. This is where it gets pertinent to the context, that he is both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne, his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, and wherefore of you are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed for this, <clears throat> which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that Jesus, same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And this is where you picked up, I think, well, 44 you picked up. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer and in prayer and fear. And fear, did I say, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. This is an important distinction here. It's an important verb, the word fear. Peter's just delivered or severed on this day of Pentecost. It pierced them to their core. They were willing to give up possessions and goods to be in fellowship with all who believed. And if you're honest with the scriptures, they did not want to leave it. They wanted to stay and continue daily in the temple. And as the scripture tells us from house to house, 
rejoicing, if you will, partying for the Lord. Think about that. They had, they had a great fear that had come over them. Where would you want to go outside of this knowledge? And you would, you know, give up these things that, that you had so that everybody had as according to their need. That's another thing, that whole phrase, according to every man had need. This was a giving up that was not a one-time, everything gives up type of, of uh, divestiture. This, again, was a divestiture of things so that they could continue in this fellowship with one another. They sold possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So the question, says, the question is, is this something we're supposed to emulate? Think about this, Isaac. If we did emulate this in the manner in which one uh, tries in the world to say that this is a proof text of a socialist or a communal type environment, we all know where it would end. Everything would be given up. Nobody would have anything. Man would eat up the substance of everything that was had, and the rest of the world would look at us like a bunch of fools because then we'd be coming to the state to get our breath. And um, so in the context, we've got to understand what was going on. And it's a big thing there to understand, you know, if we had just seen the resurrection of the Redeemer of Israel, and we did not understand it until it had been exhorted to us by Rich or Russell or you know, whomever, and we now finally got it, and we want to stay in this fellowship and in this group, and we want to, you know, we want to do what we can do to propitiate this and to see it, you know, blossom and grow and, and the understanding of, of the Word of God to flourish. Boy, what a day that would be for us to once again emulate that. But there's no talk of emulating that, is there, in, in those that want to talk about this and consider whether it's something we should emulate, giving up possessions. How about the other things that are not so spoken of here? And um, it, it's just the whole thing, when we go on in Scripture, we're, and it says they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Right there, that's another, uh, um, another um, uh, tense of the verb, from house to house. So if we're going to go from house to house, obviously not all possessions, as the word there, and Russell is probably already looking it up, because I did not look it up. I had it in my mind the other night to look it up, and I never did. But possessions doesn't always necessarily have to be um, property. Um, possessions are your household possessions, other things that others can use and need, um, uh, possessions and goods, and part of them to all men. Uh, from going from house to house, well, who had the houses? If all the houses were sold and all the property was sold, there wouldn't be any houses to go house to house in. So it, it becomes another 
inappropriate attempt to, you know, make something out of the scriptures that doesn't follow. Remember what I always say, you know, we have to remember that we don't take anything out of context with the rest of the scripture. Why would God say to Abraham, I'm going to make a multitude of nations out of you. You're going to have great wealth just so that Christ could come and say, everybody's to give up everything, all this wealth that I give you and everything else, and that's the, that's the, new, um, uh, uh, the, the new word from, from the Father. That simply did not happen. So we've got to understand that there's something else going on, and we've got to figure it out through the context, through the words that are being used, and through, you know, what was happening at the time. So that's my start on it, I guess, as to what I would give you on, on that. But um, uh, I've got a whole bunch more that that I've uh, uh, that I've made notes on as well. So now that that's being that that that's been said, um, um, is there any thought about? what I've explained as it relates to the scripture or is it is does it appear that that well, the explanation is not is not is not working. Go ahead, whoever was going to speak. I, I had a thought and the thought was this. It says in the Bible to love your enemies, doesn't it? Does it not? Isn't yeah. that the verbiage that they use? Yes. Okay, so if we took that and applied it literally, we would be committing some form of suicide. Um, And my point is this. We have the right to protect our family and our possessions, and that's a God-given right. Isn't it? Well, that's that is the implied and the inference from "Thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not mm-hmm. covet, Thou shalt not bear false witness." Okay, so so the bad guy comes along to take it from me, whether it be my wife, my children, or whatever, and I'm supposed to love him. That's what people are preaching. I think that's real close to Quakerism. And so here's the point. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up two and two equal four. So there has to be something there we're missing. And if it's the context, praise God. Somebody's told us we need to read the whole story. I've found that that does help explain a lot of this stuff. But um, for me, that's one that that never added up, ever, ever, never. Well, you know, kind of one of the expressions that I've heard before from from pastors over the years is the the one um, kind of uh, analogy that says, 
um, the scripture says, turn the other cheek. And so uh, this old boy comes up to this guy and, and does something to him. And, and I don't have the analogy down very well, I suppose. But uh, he turned his other cheek. And so the guy hauled off and hit him again. And he said, beyond that, the scripture remained silent. So he said he laid into the guy and beat him to a pulp. <laughs> you know, I mean, at some point, you know, you are, are you supposed to continue to allow somebody to abuse you? Uh, are you supposed to allow, uh, as you said, uh, them to abuse the family and so forth? No, absolutely not. So it has to be, there has to be some reason that it's being said there has to be something understood in the context of why he's saying it. And the first thing is, you know, pray for those that persecute you. You know, this is the enemy he's talking about, these enemies of God, the enemies of Christ, who will not have God rule over them, you know. Um, to, to, to love those and uh, seek that they understand and learn how valuable the Word of God is in application and how functional it is, they would have no reason to no longer hate and to persecute you. But as long as you're willing to allow them to persecute you, you're willing to allow them to, um, uh, to pollute God's Word and, and so forth, you know, some of these people uh, are God's people that have not known the truth. And they could be quite an enemy. Uh, we have the Apostle Paul as a prime example of somebody who was persecuting um, those that were going to be called sons of God, sons of Christ, Christian. So uh, there's plenty of examples of how to love and how to love through sharing the word of God. It doesn't mean that you sacrifice all sanity and all understanding of what by a sword means, which is one of the other scriptures that we also had in this series of scriptures that seem to allude to us that we're supposed to do something quite to the contrary of what we might uh, either have been taught or what we might be thinking as we as we read those scriptures. I don't know if that makes sense, but The one thing that we also got to learn about this Acts 2:43 to 7, it does have a number of tense verbs, and those tense verbs would be expected from the aorist, which expresses once for all actions. That's a very important part of it. In other words, this is not something that's a once for all action. I know I expressed that a little bit earlier, but I didn't describe it. You know, as I said, the Koine was the language used in everyday speech. It was written in their shopping list. We can learn from the archaeological records. It was in their private letters, legal documents. Uh, Pastor Earl Jones did a good message on that. I know Rich probably remembers it well about the Koine Greek. And, um, you know, they wrote their legal documents like wills and stuff in the Koine Greek. And... That's what carried the gospel message. The Grecian Empire, in fact, uh, you know, they were, uh, um, you know, expanding across the the then known, you know, world at that time. 
And so people might say, huh, what? You know, what's that all about without understanding? But there's something there to be understood. So when you have a series of tense verbs like, you know, uh, sold their possessions, parted them to all, as every man had need, continuing daily um, uh, with one accord, I should say, uh, uh, in the temple, breaking bread, house to house, um, gladness, singleness of heart. These are all tense verbs which are not ex- expressly expressing a, uh, you know, one time sold all their possessions thing and they all, you know, went to to go um, commune together in a communal environment. It just simply is not what happened. Uh, it wasn't a one-time divestiture of, of property uh, once and done. Uh, because once and done, we know what once and done does. Once and done, there's no more to give. And, in fact, I think that it, it brings a good segue into Acts 4, 32 to 37. When you read from the multiple translations, it really can be seen being expressed. I mean, even the, uh, the, uh, the NIV, New International Version, uh, the way it is translated, I don't have it up now, but if somebody does, um, get the Bible Gateway up and you can go to the NIV and read the NIV and you will see um, how the NIV wrote it, and it and it uh, it it's, um, it it very much uh, helps one to see and understand that it was not as we perceive it as a once and done type thing. It was um, done as it was needed um, throughout this this group of early believers. They so. In fact, one could say it was really a moving of the Holy Spirit to move them into this um, mind frame and this attitude of unity. And absolutely, Isaac, to answer that question, yeah, this would be great for us to move in one accord in as they did in uh, bringing this uh, truth of this gospel message, this good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and move in that same accord to apply the word of God in daily life. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, I'm following. <clears throat> and so, yeah, that that would be a we could we could emulate this in that same spiritual and Holy Spirit, you know, moving. <clears throat> and would to God that the church world could recognize the necessity at this great hour in our country alone and furthermore throughout the world, the great commission that we were supposed to do in bringing Christianity to the world and what is Christianity but the followers of Christ. The followers of Christ are the followers of God and his word. Christ said, as we just opened up in John 17, you know, I have given them thy word. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Thank you for that, Lord. (laughs) 
Absolutely. This was really, you know, it was like a wholesale act of Christian love to those in like circumstance of the hope and the belief upon that gospel news, the future implications in their minds, and also the persecution that Christ suffered, it spawned, and, 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 and disciples as well, those that were starting to profess this, they were seeing how the people in power were perceiving them. It spawned needs, which others were willing to share the burden, so to speak, in spirit and purpose to further the proliferation of, of, of the gospel message of what these early Christians were experiencing in that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This was Israel's long-anticipated redeemer that the, many of them were finally understanding for the first time. And you know, also, we can't even understand these scriptures, truly, if we do not understand these men and brethren of Israel as Peter address them, we, we can't even understand how it was for them to know that they anticipated there was supposed to be a day that they were to be redeemed. They'd heard it from the prophets. Some of these people passed it on to their children and their children's children. And some of them probably forgot about it. And then when Peter says, this is that Christ whom you crucified, you Israelites, that was pretty piercing and great fear comes upon them as to you know how can we fall back into the grace of god after what we've just done and it as i say it gives us great opportunity to segue right into chapter four and the other verse scripture that you have at 32 through 37 so if you want, Isaac, I'm ready to go there, and we'll kick it around sure. there, and I think we'll be able to back up what we read in 2 by going to chapter 4, 32, and 37. Go. Sure. All right. 4.32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Uh, let's see. Oh, hold on. Sorry, I just lost my... Just scroll back. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And the distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And uh, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, we'll cover five here shortly. But, sure. All right, so... so What's your thoughts? What's your understanding, and so forth? Well, the just talking about people other than the apostles selling their houses. Uh, so you could say that the apostles already sold their houses. Um, that would also seem to indicate that the possessions that they were selling were, in fact, houses, uh, at least 
uh, in some cases, and in uh, Acts 244 through 45, uh, we were saying that they sold their possessions but then went from house to house. So these are either just two different, uh, I, believe, I believe that they're two different instances, but one definitely says they sold their houses and the other one says they sold their possessions, which may or may not include their house. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have a conclusion on that, but they're selling a lot of stuff and they're pooling their money. So I guess it goes back to, uh, the question goes back to who was doing it. Um, were they doing it specifically at this time for some reason, or is it something that we're also supposed to emulate uh, in our present present day? Well, in my response and my answer, uh, I, scripturally, as I understand it, is this. You know, the context here, once again, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Let's just stop for a second on that. We've just experienced a massive, earth-shattering, earth-life-changing situation that occurred here nationwide in, the Amer in America, let's say, for example. I don't know what kind of catastrophe I could explain it as being, but just think about that. Would we, as Christians, do everything we have within our power to see to it that everybody that we knew who are of us and so forth and are in need, would we not do everything that we could do and this experience is, is so profound and so moving, I can't for the life of me figure that we would not act in this same manner. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. If we were faced with, I, I know uh, I interrupted. Go ahead. Whoever that other voice was. I said, I said you better, Doug. I get in a, if I get in a pickle, you better come open the can or the jar. <laughs> well, we're all coming to your place because I brought the cans and the pickles to you, remember? <laughs> <laughs> he delivered the pickles and then he's going to help open them, huh? <laughs> and so, so once again, you know, as I say, as we look at the full context of this, Peter is once again... Uh, you know, Peter and John are both talking here in the early part of chapter 4, middle part of chapter 4, I guess. And and then um, uh, for in 27, for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatever soever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness 
they may speak thy word. See, this is the real context of what's happening and what's going on here. Is that, you know, this is a great prayer going out because we're talking about the threatenings of Pilate, the threatenings of Herod, and so forth. And so now we understand that there's a reason, there's more than just the, the face of the scriptures. You understand what I'm saying? There's something like a catastrophe going on. The catastrophe is the leadership, the leadership and the threatenings that are going on. You think in America, they, the, the governing authorities today have the ability with very little effort to totally shut down our ability to function. As the scripture says, you know, they would not be able to buy or sell unless they had the mark of the beast. In America, we're experiencing that. We see what control is, is being taken over us as individuals. And so in that same sense, they're threatenings. These are threatenings, essentially. And if the threatenings are in such a manner, we don't know how those threatenings were. We don't know what they may have been deprived of, what they were being told they were going to be deprived of, or what manner of threatenings these were at all. But something was going on, which, which caused them to, uh, to do something in a profound way. J.D., I had to mute you down. I don't know what it is when you come in. You're going to have to, you're going to have to mute that out if you can or something, but uh, it's got a lot of background noise. So anyhow, I got you muted for right now. So there's a really strong, profound thing that's going on here, and that, I think, is often overlooked when you know, people tend, attempt to use these scriptures to infer that there's some, some you know, new thing that's going on here, definitely they are staying in one accord and definitely they are looking at how they're going to survive together, if you will. Now, maybe that's a little bit of, a, of an extreme statement there, but I, I truly think that it, it's in, it, it is not just inferred in the scripture, it's plain. And as I say, chapter 432 specifically conveys the context, Acts 432, quote, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. This multitude, it expresses, gave great power. This can't be taken lightly. I want you to get this. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, verse 33, and with great power gave the apostle. Okay, now we got to stop and unpack that. And this is the best analogy I can give you. If somebody is, is, um, is professing a truth, let's say, and others say, yeah, that's a truth. 
put it in a political sense. Put it in whatever sense you want. And aren't the others emboldened to help to embolden the one who has spoke that truth? And the answer, of course, is yes. And it says, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Well, how does that great grace come upon them? How did these other people, by doing the things they did, empower the apostles with great power. Are you following me? Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I think guess so. through, unit, through unity. And well, but, but all, yeah, the things that they did, what these people did, the sacrifices that they also made in possessions and so forth, gave these apostles great power to go out and continue to do what they were doing. And many of them also participated in it. And that's not to be taken you know, lightly. It's to be understood in the full context of what's actually happening here. And so uh, those were the people in those positions of, of power or positions of authority there. It was the apostles and the disciples that were in the position to convey a message, and it gave them the ability to do so with a greater power. Why? Because the multitudes were with them. The multitudes were supporting them. The multitudes were financially participating and assisting in it. In this case, the, the message was the message of the risen Christ witnessed to by about 500 people. And don't forget verse 36. This Levite, what was the Levite's lot of inheritance in the Old Testament? Anybody? Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah said they didn't get one. So we'll give Jeremiah a gold star. That's right. <laughs> they, didn't have any, they didn't have any inheritance. Right? And so... Once again, is Barnabas's decision to do what Barnabas did because Barnabas recognized the law and Barnabas being a Levite was not actually even supposed to be in possession? Did he give up his possession for that reason? I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily speculate on that, but I think it's a worthwhile question. And my answer to my own question would be, I believe he saw the light. And I believe in seeing the light, he did one thing that he knew he could do, and that was to sell the possession to help propitiate this gospel message. And that's exactly what he did, to support those. And as we know from the scriptures uh, to follow in the epistles, Barnabas became one of them, who went out and taught the gospel message. And, you know, Think about it. I mean, I, I, I know salt of the earth Israelite people, Israelite Christians who sought Christ with heart and soul, and the world trashed them. They fought them. They left them without money. They left them without possessions. They left them without coke. They left them without home. And I'm one of them. 
And would to God that the multitude of them that really believed me and believed what I did and believed what I was preaching and what I was teaching about usury, would to God that instead of them running like cockroaches when Herod and Pontius Pilate came after them, that they would have stood with me and with God. And that's what was going on here in the book of Acts. That's what it means. That's what Pastor taught in his last message in Branson about being in one accord. And you saw what happened within six months. There was no one accord. There was a different idea and a different direction that was being planned. By an evil one. Now, before we leave the passage, let's look at what's unseen. Let's go back to Acts 2.44 through 47 and chapter 4, 32 and 37. You see, what is unseen is that nowhere does it say or even imply that all of one's property or all of one's possessions, or all of one's goods were sold or parted. Communism is abolition of private property, and socialism is state ownership of the means of protection. So these ideas for certain are not at all contemplated in the context of these scriptures. If it was and is to be inferred and therefore contemplated, where else does the biblical record convey it? It's simply missing, isn't it? Yeah. As I said, Yahweh promised Abraham and his seed they would have great possessions, abundance of cattle, sheep, and land. So did Christ, God in the flesh, John 1.14, John 10.30, did he intend to nullify that great wealth and that great blessing by statements recorded in these scriptures? I can tell you of a surety, the answer remains an unequivocal, absolutely not. Hey, Doug, this, this what we're doing tonight is really giving meaning to preconceived notions. Amen. So, conceive a notion is to give birth to an idea. But if you're free doing that, it's what it is is you're giving birth to an idea before you really understand the conception. You're That's jumping, exactly what it is. Yes. You're, you're trying to do stuff, but you don't have all the facts. So you just... 
it's like all these cop and robber shows with the what's his name Sherlock Holmes. You're coming up with the killer, but you don't have all the facts. So you just go around telling everybody you know who the killer is. And uh, so when you take these things, these profound scriptures, and these are profound in terms of what it, what we're reading. Give your possessions to the poor. Wow, flags go up, don't they? I'm supposed to give my stuff to the poor. Well, what this unwrapping, as Doug calls it, or how another word is just studying and figuring stuff out or just digging for the truth. Then you see what I had preconceived was wrong. Thank you, God, that I've now conceived the idea correctly. And now maybe I can move on to the next step. Uh, so that's a thought I had. Yeah. Uh, Given uh, uh, all their pro- all their sustenance to the poor. What was that, Rich? Say, Rich, say, Rich, say again a little louder toward the phone. I said, now is it the same thing to give your goods to the poor as to to pool it all together and hold it in common? Uh, let me let me see if I'm understanding what you're asking. Are you asking is it the same thing to give to the poor as it is to give things in common? The whole. It was like holding the sustenance in common was almost like a protectionist thing, I would think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I that's say clearly that they gave it all away. Yes. Yes, I agree. They were getting persecuted by the uh, the Pharisees. They were getting hunted down by Paul. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, so it, it it seems to me that this might have been a way to hold it in common to protect it from people who are going to steal it from them. Mm-hmm. Was survival mode? Right. I think I think it was. I I do too because as I say the context conveys to us that there was fear. There was fear once again, and uh, fear of who? It tells us. The fear of Herod and and Pilate. Well, they stoned Stephen, right? Exactly. And Paul was going out, as you said, killing Christians just according to the authority he believed he had to do it. So I agree. I think a lot of it had to do with the the protection of the common good, if you will. And I think it's clear context. When there is theory, it changes it changes the the rational mind. Fear does. Um, If 
I don't know if anybody that's listening right now has encountered a fearful situation, but your thinking is changed at that moment. And you switch into survival mode and and you... If you hadn't been in contact with one of these psychopaths that wants to harm you, you will if you live long enough. And it is very fearful. And you do things you probably wouldn't ordinarily do. So maybe that had something to do with it. Well, and there's one other context of all of this that we really don't know what was going on for them as well, and that is some of these believe this was the end. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, when you when you believe it's the end, what do you do? You 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 don't need these things anymore. No. And look at all right. Look at all the ways in which that's occurred also in 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 those that we've known and and prior groups and organizations that that you know the church world told us this isn't our home. We're just passing through, and so you know people didn't do anything. They didn't participate with with really the Great Commission, which was to teach the Word of God and apply it and put it into practice in, in a greater way than it had ever been done, you know, in many, many centuries since, you know, King David or King Solomon or, you know, any of the others that could be cited. And so that's another big part of this is that, you know, uh, that's another aspect that has to be taken into consideration. But, um, you know, I, uh, uh, I just, uh, and, and I've got more. I've got more, and we'll get into it in the next week as well, um, because uh, it's important for us to do it. Um, now, I know we were going toward... Uh, 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 chapter 5, verse 1, but I think we'll have to wait with that next week, and we'll use that as a segue into some stuff that I'd like to share then about this whole, um, you know, process of these scriptures that we've that we've taken on to address and to review and to look at. And I know it's getting close to the, the time here, and I also have to uh, get out here as well. And um, so I think we'll close with some closing prayer and uh, pick it up next week on Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, and get that brought into the proper context and stuff as well. And then I think we're going to look at some history, some history that I think you'll all find very interesting. So how's that sound, everybody? Sounds interesting. Yeah, good. Well, somebody uh, closes out with prayer, J.D. I, I'm glad to have you joining again. I'm sorry that there's a lot of background noise on that end for you. If you can get that figured out somehow, I'll get a little more participation here. But let's close up with closing prayer, and we'll uh, get back together next week then. Go ahead, anybody. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank and praise you. Thank you for your son and your love and your loving kindness toward our family. 
protection you afford us. Keep us free from the hour that flies during the day or the pestilence by night. Whatever it is, you are you are always available. You are always there for your loving kindness. Bless us, protect us, heal us, strengthen us, Heavenly Father. Give us wisdom and discernment from these meetings. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Amen. 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 Well, Lord, I want to tell you right quick, thank you so much for healing our daughter this week. Last Friday, she had holes in her throat full of who knows what. And Lord, the doctor told us that she had mono and we're going to have to get blood work and all these things, Lord, and we we didn't do what he told us to do. Father, we did what you told us to do. And Father, today those those tonsils look beautiful. And we said before it happened, we'd thank you for it. So, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for knowing our needs long before we ever have them. And Father, we just pray that you continue to guide and teach us how to trust you first and to trust in you in all things. Father, we just thank you so much for all that you do every day and watching over us and those that are yours. Father, we continue to put all those that are with child and all those that have given new birth, that we continue to be with them as they go through this process. And, and Father, we just ask for your blessing to be upon them. Father, we pray against those that are the wicked out here that just keep on oppressing and just keep on lording over us. Father, we pray against them in your holy name. We pray against them because they reject you. They reject knowledge. They reject your truth. And Father, we pray continually that as we are here, two or more gathered in your name, that you'll be with us guiding and directing us, as Brother Rich said, in all of the things that we say, we contemplate in your word. Teach us thy word through your word. We ask these things in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, men. Good night, everybody. Good night, J.D., Rich, and Isaac, and everybody. We'll talk next week. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night.